Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, I'm fortunate enough to have, uh, I, I will honestly say he's my second favorite member of the cabinet, only behind the Vice President of the United States, but somebody who has been doing yeoman's work in the Department of Labor, none other than former mayor of the great city of Boston, but Secretary Walsh, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, you know, I'm, I'm glad to fall on that. That's a good lineage to fall on there. Uh, I love the VP too, so that's a good place to be. I will tell you that Mayor Pete's going to get mad at me, but he knows that he is a strong third. You it's know, okay. Listen, at least he's in contention. He's in third place. You know, he, it's he's he's in the metal metal round, so he's all right. <laughs> he's all right. That's all right. You know, we start each one of our episodes the same way, and I want to do that with you by having our guests walk us through the arc of their career. So talk to us about your journey in public life. And even more important, I had an opportunity to be in the Obama administration over an ag. Of course, not a not a secretary, but I said no to it. But why did you say yes to being labor secretary when President Biden asked you to serve? Well, you know, my whole career, let me let me just quickly, I started as a construction worker in Boston. Um, I have a whole bunch of things before that. Um, I ran for office in uh, 1997. Uh, I ran for st- the legislature in Massachusetts, and I was fortunate enough to get elected. Uh, I represent, it's called Dorchester, part of Boston. I served in the legislature for 16 years. Uh, a couple of years in there, I ran the building trades in Boston. So I had a chance to kind of see how the construction industry works on the developer side and the, and the, and the worker side. Um, 2013, uh, I had a chance to, to, to run for mayor of Boston and I did, and I was fortunate enough to win and I served seven years as mayor. Uh, and then, you know, in my, in my time as mayor, you know, I had a chance, the first part of my, my tenure, I had a chance to serve as mayor under the Obama administration. Uh, in the Obama-Biden administration and actually get a chance to meet the vice president and know him really well. I've met him before, but I got a chance to get to know him. And, and, and I had a chance to see how it works when uh, a government works with cities and states around the country and what a partnership really is. And then my last uh, you know, four years of my, my tenure as mayor, uh, I served with a different administration that um, I saw the opposite, complete opposite side where you don't work with cities and you don't work with states across the board. Uh, and when President Biden uh, got elected president, um, you know, I had a feeling inside that I might get a phone call. Uh, and, and, you know, when, when the president, when the president of the United States of America called you uh, and, and asked you to serve in his or her administration, her eventually, her administration, um, it's very difficult to say no. Uh, it was, you know, it was one of those decisions that serving as secretary of labor, you know, was not, not on my plan. I didn't think about that at all. <laughs> I didn't think about being in a, a White House. I thought this was on your vision board. On your yeah, vision it wasn't board on the vision board. <laughs> Wanting to be mayor was on the vision board, but, you know, whether or not I got there was one thing. But um, and when the president called, you know, you can't say no to the president. And um, this president is very pro-worker. And a lot of what he said in the campaign trail uh, through, you know, creating opportunities in the middle class, through equity, inclusion, uh, you know, calling out in specifically, you know, uh, the black community, Latino community, the LGBTQ community, the rural American community was something that was really kind of piqued my interest in what we could do at the Department of Labor to to encourage and get more people participating in an opportunity to actually, you know, support their family and raise, the, raise their family, get into the middle class. I mean, I mean, I, I got some more questions, but one of the things that I, I that just crossed my mind, because you are. I mean, Democrat, Republican, black, white, I think that Secretary Walsh, you are the definition of what it means to be a working class American, right? No matter where you go, you understand that, you speak the language. Talk to me about your message to, and it doesn't matter if they're independent, Democrat or Republican, but about uh, student loan um, forgiveness. That messaging seems to be 
uh, targeted towards the working class in terms of Republican messaging, saying that it provides some disadvantage. I disagree. But how would you talk to your brothers and sisters back home in the bar on the south side of Boston about what this means for them? You know, it's an opportunity to help families. It's an opportunity to help people that went to college that 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 didn't have the means necessary to go to college. They had to take out student debt, uh, and 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 the, the young people that had to take out the Pell grants. Um, this is a piece of forgiveness to help them uh, in their journey uh, into the middle class. And, and I think that you know people are you know pe- people that have the means to pay for college. Um, you know, they don't have to, they shouldn't worry about this. They had the means to pay for college. They have the ability to, to write that $50,000, $60,000 check if they go to a, a four-year college or, or, or a $40,000 check if you go to a, a, a just a regular community college, not community college, but a, a regular college, private college. And if you go to community college or go to a state school, it depends on what state you're in, what the cost is. So uh, it really, it really is, it's an opportunity to try and help people. I mean, the president um, talked about it on the campaign trail. A lot of people uh, wanted him to do more. Um, Some people, you know, they didn't come out and say, don't do it. They're trying to make a campaign issue. This is not a campaign issue. You you know, it's it's almost like saying when they extended unemployment benefits in 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 the American Rescue Plan, that that's a bad thing. I mean, we're helping people trying to get ahead. That's what we do. You go to any other country in the world, or not any country, you go to most countries in Europe, college is free. And and people have access to that college. And and, and in some ways, it's just the elite that have access to college. And what we want to do is make sure that young kids in America, young students, young kids in in the city of Boston, Chicago, in in LA, in San Francisco, in in, in Miami, wherever it is, that they have access to college. I'm a first generation uh, college graduate, okay? I went to college uh, you know, when I got out of high school, I dropped out of college. My parents are immigrants from Ireland. Um, and people might say, well, it's different than the immigrant today. No, it's the same exact thing. Because my parents didn't understand really what college was. They wanted me to go to college, but they didn't understand the debt. They didn't understand the application process. They didn't understand that. So I, I think by criticizing the president, criticizing the administration over providing some assistance for some folks that need assistance, um, I, I just think, I think it's, I think it's, I don't think it's going to gain political traction. Now, there are some people out there that are talking about it, but we're not talking about we're not talking about wiping out three hundred thousand dollars per person in the United States of America. We're talking about giving a little bit of relief to families that, that 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 have college student loans. Targeted relief too. Let me um let me ask you this. I mean, get back getting back on script. When you're back at home in Boston, I know people probably your boys probably razz you a little bit and say, "What the hell is the Department of Labor and what do you do? Are you in the are you the person who regulates the elevators like they do in most states? Talk to folk about what the Department of Labor does and particularly coming out of COVID, why your department and why you were so important. Yeah, so I'll tell you a quick story. So when, when I got called, the first call to be vetted uh, for a job, I didn't know what it was. And I said, I'd, I'd do it. I grabbed my iPad and I Googled Department of Labor and I went on the website. And I had no idea what the Department of Labor did, really. I knew OSHA was here. I knew h and was here. I knew a couple of things were here, but I really didn't know a lot about it. You know, what, what the Department of Labor really does, and we've kind of boiled this down, is we represent workers morning, noon, and night. Uh, we make we're making sure that that when workers get up in the morning and they're going to work, that that we're advocating for strong child support. We're advocating for for good benefits. We're advocating for opportunities to earn good wages. In the afternoon, we're making sure that people have protections on the job site and making sure that that they're working in safe conditions. And at night when they go to bed, that their pensions are guaranteed and protected. So, so basically what the Department of Labor does, we have a whole big portfolio. There are 60, I think 67 uh, different departments in, in our department. You know, the big, the big kind of ones, the big three, I guess you could say, wage and hour, uh, which protects workers that working for, for employers 
uh, that, that might be undercut or not getting paid fully or being taken advantage of. OSHA, which makes sure that, that we're making sure job sites are safe and we do inspections and we do uh, we go out and job sites after accidents. And then MSHA, which is really mine worker safety, making sure that our mines are safe. And then we do everything from, from making sure that there are good heat standards on jobs to make sure that we have rulemaking processes. We have a Women's Bureau, we have a Veterans Bureau. Uh, we, we do job training, workforce development, apprenticeship. Uh, so our portfolio is very, very large uh, when you think about the Department of Labor. Uh, and it really is about American workers. And I'll say this too, it's also about American business because I work very closely with business because if businesses aren't successful and businesses aren't doing well, then we're not gonna have opportunities for people to go to work. So I don't view it as an adversarial, I'm in the business camp, Gina Raimondo's in the, in the, I'm in the work camp, Gina Raimondo's in the business camp. I find it really important that we collaborate across the board with everybody. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. You know, one of the things that we can talk about right now, and I don't mean to sound like CNBC this morning, but uh, the job market right now and inflation. Unemployment is at record lows, but prices are at record highs. Can you help listeners understand the relationship between the two? And how does the Biden administration encourage one without making the other one worse? Yeah, well, uh, well to be honest with you, I, th I think we have to put into context why we're in this moment in time. Uh, this is not caused by the Biden administration. This is this is caused by, quite honestly, and I would argue in some cases, the last administration not having a plan to deal with COVID. Uh, when COVID started, I was the mayor of Boston. We had no federal plan. There was no no direction from the federal government other than Dr. Fauci would come on TV once a day and give us some kind of direction on what to do, um, and, and that impacted our supply chain. That impacted our globe. That it also impacted the global supply chain. Uh, and it impacted, uh, you know, work, the workplace, it impacted a lot of different pieces. And, and I think that when President Biden took over, uh, you know, 10 million Americans were out of work the day before President Biden got sworn into office. He passed the American Rescue Plan, got those people back to work. And, and now when you think about the cost and the prices, you know, we have also Russia attacking Ukraine. And so you get gas prices going up. So what we've seen in the last couple of months here, we've seen the job market recover fully. We've seen gas prices come down for eight and a half consecutive weeks. We've seen inflation, the number didn't grow this month. It, it ticked down a little bit. We're starting to see some of the costs dropping. Um, it, it still is about, it's about global supply chain. 
you have the, you have a president and a vice president that's talking about creating opportunities for more manufacturing in America. That's not going to solve the problem for us for today on inflation. But what it's going to do is going to allow the future of our economy to more de be dependent on American um, productivity here through manufacturing. How have wages grown, and are we seeing workers reaping the benefits of a hot job market? I think I think well I think it's not just a hot job market. It's a very I I don't think that you know I'm not an economist, but but I will argue that um, that you know this economy is unlike any other. You know, three months ago on TV, people were talking recession, recession, recession. We had an incredible jobs day uh, a couple weeks ago, 528,000 jobs added to the economy. We're seeing inflationary pressures go down, drop a little bit. So I think we're starting to see that. What we're also seeing is workers having the ability to be able to pick and choose where they want to go and use their ability to look at taking advantage of these open jobs. We're seeing job uh, gains, uh, wage increases this year. I think it's 5.2% year over year. And we're seeing the largest uh, wage gain in the hospitality industry. It's up 11%. And these businesses are still making money. They're still doing well. And they're able to pay their employees more. We're also seeing a larger, a larger interest in organizing labor, organized labor. We're seeing 70% of young people in America between, I think, the ages of 18 and 20 or 30, 25 or 30, want to want to be part of a union. So I think there's an opportunity. There's the people looking for collective power to, to better themselves in their situation. Well, I think, you know, we've all been in, I was just in Jacksonville at the uh, Marriott Hotel Bar downtown, and uh, it was a big Jags preseason game. I don't know why anybody would be a Jags football fan, but that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> and, um, you know, they were, they were understaffed, and you had people around the bar making this lazy argument of people just don't want to work these days. What, what, what do you, when you still see these shortages in certain places, what is the cause of that? Well, I, I think it, I think it's I think it's people finding different industry. I mean, in the hospitality industry in itself, you know, you had a you had a dedicated workforce that pre-point pandemic, and, and that industry probably I would argue is one of the most two or three impacted uh, uh, professions that happened. So a lot of these restaurants and, and, and bars and hospitality places and rest hotels they lost their employees. Uh, they lost people that, that were working uh, long hours and, and earning decent money, uh, waiting and waitressing all across America. And a lot of these folks now left that industry and they decided now's the time to go. I think during the pandemic, a lot of people contemplated where they are in their work life, what their, what their work life balance is. And, and, you know, I'll even say for myself during the pandemic, you know, I'd, I'd go for a walk at night because we weren't out as the mayor, we weren't going to events. You start thinking about what's next. And, and I think a lot of Americans were realizing like, are they, where are they in their life and where are they, are they happy? And I think in that industry, particularly the hospitality industry, you know, you, you've lost a lot of folks and I think they will be back there, but it's going to be a little bit of a gap before we get fully back into that, into that space. One of the things you talked about were the people who were uh, more and more people are, are uh, becoming unionized or want to be a part of a union. South Carolina, that's a difficult conversation for me because when I was in the legislature, less than 4% of our workforce was actually unionized. Although we did have the international longshoremen is somewhat of a foreign topic that I'm still trying to, to learn. But one of the things that we do see are places like Starbucks being unionized. What is your message to CEOs like that of Starbucks and everywhere else who are pushing back, who are firing people, who are closing, who are, they literally, I just saw a red article, they literally shut down an entire Starbucks that was unionized and are now licensing it. What's your message? Yeah, I mean, my message is simple to any employer who your employees are, are, are beginning to, are trying to organize. 
there's there's something going on in your company that that the workers want to organize and i'd encourage any employer in america to sit down and have a conversation with their employees who want to organize and understand the importance of that maybe organizing can be good for your company uh, you know, people have this 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 idea of organized labor as they they come in and they want to end business and ruin business. That's not true. I mean, unions and organized labor need successful companies in America, where you don't have employees to represent. Uh, and I think that my my you know my message and the president's message has always been you know to have dialogues, have those conversations uh, with your employees to talk about how you move forward here. Um, you know, so I know there's some companies in America that embrace unions and and look at unions as partnerships. Uh, and there are some companies in America that don't have an understanding. They spend millions of dollars trying to keep the union out when, in fact, you could be investing that money in your employees and saving all the headache that you're causing and, and the disruption you're causing. I, I don't understand why you close a store or close a business because you're being organized it, without having any understanding of what that means. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange-traded funds with GlobalX ETFs. Exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. GlobalX specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Try Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost, built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, incredible load times, and 24-7 WordPress priority support, your sites will be lightning fast with global reach. And with Bluehost Cloud, your sites can handle surges in traffic no matter how big. Plus, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. Get started now at Bluehost.com. You know, I can't let you go without talking about black unemployment. It's about 5.7% now for black men, which I think is an historic low, but it's still twice what we've seen for white Americans, which is in the 3% range. Why does this structural gap exist? And I mean, it seems like it's been double forever since I've been born, but why does this gap exist? And what's the Department of Labor doing to address that gap? Yeah, well, well I, you know, being the mayor of former mayor of Boston, I think exists because people don't have access to opportunity and, and don't understand what that access point is. And, and, you know, you can't just set up a program and a job training program and say, OK, we're going to do a job training program in in this predominantly African-American community. And expect, <laughs> yeah. Oh, everyone's going to get good jobs. It just doesn't work that way. And, and I think that we have to be more intentional about the work we're doing in the, in the, in the African-American community, in the black community, uh, in making sure that we're accessing good paying jobs, not just jobs. It's not just about a job. It's about a good paying job with no class. I don't want to say on one side, oh, we're going to build all these infrastructure jobs over here that people are going to make, you know, good money and go into the middle class. Hey, oh, in the black community, we're going to have a bunch of, you know, whatever jobs they are that are going to pay minimum wage and, and people should be happy. That's not what we're doing. And I think that that's, we have to be a lot more focused on that. And what the Department of Labor is doing is, is quite honestly, we, we launched a program initiative, the Good Jobs Initiative. And inside that initiative, 
uh, the core of that, one of the core points of that is equity and making sure that as, we, as we're, we're spending money, as the federal government's spending money, uh, we're being focused on communities that, that have been under underrepresented, underfunded, under, you know, underemployed over the last, you know, since the beginning of creation of this country, quite honestly, and that we have work to do. And I think that, you know, it was good to see, like you said, 5.7% unemployment rate. Okay, that's great. The last couple of months, we've seen the, the largest gains in, in black unemployment in men and women. That's great. But we still, there's still such a huge gap that's there. And we have to be really focused on, on how do we close that gap. I learned a lot as mayor of Boston in trying to do that. And I've taken some of what I've learned and the good to the Department of Labor and what I've learned that wasn't so good and that we weren't as successful for as much as I like to be in the city and trying to make the differences here, such as contracting, creating opportunity, creating wealth. My last question for you is, how do things like the infrastructure bill and the chips and science act and the inflation reduction act translate into even more jobs and a stronger economy and as we go into the midterms you should i mean honestly let me just say your, your team does a great job and you should be on tv way more i wish you were on fox news every sunday morning meet the press talking to voters so i'm going to talk to whoever i can talk to ron Klain or whoever to make sure that they send you out more often to do that work but what's your message on those successes that we've had yeah, you know, let me let me let me think about the the chips bill, the infrastructure bill, uh, all these pieces of legislation that President Biden and the Vice President Harris have passed uh, are good bills. But what they really are is a foundation for the future of America. Uh, they're going to create jobs, they're going to create opportunity, but it really is like creating a strong foundation in a house when you're building it about the future, so we can win the future of of America's economy, win the future of manufacturing and create opportunities. The infrastructure bill is, is immediately investments in roads and bridges and ports and clean water and broadband and drinking and, and drinking water and, 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 and electric charging stations. But what it does, it allows cities and towns all across America to expand and grow and attract new businesses to their areas. When you have a new port or you have a new train station or you have some trains or you have new roads and bridges. The chips manufacturing bill, when you think about creating chips in the United States of America, it allows companies, okay, you might have a car manufacturer in Michigan and you might have a, somebody making glass in Ohio and you might have somebody making batteries in another part of the country. So it really is about creating opportunity and, and, and jobs and, but, but building up a whole community. Cause when you have, when you have a factory in a community, it's not just the jobs that are provided in that factory. It's also main street, people going out shopping on main street, uh, buying homes and investing in, in the community. So what these bills have done, I think is put America, put America on a very strong fiscal stable, uh, trajectory in the, for over the next decade or two. And, and we hopefully will follow these infrastructure bills up next Congress with another infrastructure bill, because it's not a one and done. I mean, when you think about we think about what China's done, China's made multi-year investments in infrastructure. We have to do more than one big infrastructure bill. We can't wait another 15, 20 years to make an infrastructure bill in America. There are too many bridges and too many roads and too many, too many places that need fixing. Well, my brother, and by the way, Chips is a terrible name. For the for the longest, I thought they were talking about an expansion of the uh, children's health insurance program. I was like, what? Why are we back there again? I was like, we need a new name. Anyway, Secretary Walsh, shout out to your team. Shout out to Emma for making this work. I appreciate you so very much. Uh, I don't know how good the Patriots are going to be this year. But we're going to be I, all right. We're going to be all right. You know, I, I, listen, I, I'm a, I'd say 11, 11 and 6. That's, that's wishful. That's, you're not even the most dominant team in the AFC East anymore. We, we have the most dominant coach, though, so it's all matters. I, I hear you. I hear you. Anyway, I love you so much, <laughs> Secretary Walsh. Have a great day, my brother. Be easy. Thank you.